Father, thank you for this space. Um, I ask you to bring your presence here and to dwell amongst us. God, open my heart um, and set me aside so that these women hear from you today. That this, um, as we're going to talk about, is not about us, but Lord, you are first. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So some of you are happy it's Valentine's, some of you are Galentine's, some of you are happy that it's raining outside. This is my most favorite weather in the whole entire world. Don't stop. Um, so we are going to have a little fun to start off. We're going to do a little dreaming to start off the day. So I want you to find a space in your book, maybe on the back cover where you can write or just over in the margin, you're going to want to write down a couple of things. So um, the first thing I want you to think about is something that is on your bucket list. What's something on your bucket list you want to do or experience one of my things is I want to go to Cape Town, South Africa. And my plan right now is to go on my next decade birthday, and that is approaching all too quickly. But that just means I'll get to go to Cape Town sooner. Okay, y'all have that? Okay, next I want you to think of a goal you have in like five or ten years. Or tomorrow, maybe you have a goal for tomorrow. Just think of a goal. Write down that goal that you have. Okay, and last thing, we've probably all done this question before. If money was no object, what would you do? What do you dream about doing? Okay, now look back at that list. Let's imagine that all of those things have now happened. You have been to Cape Town. You have launched and successfully run your own business, and you have read all of the Harry Potter novels in one summer. <laughs> You've done all of those things. Everything has been accomplished, and it feels so good, right? You've done these great things, and so now what? Have, can you stop making lists now? Is, is life complete now? Now that you did those things, you made your bucket list and you hit your goals and, and you have dreamed and done the things you've always dreamed about. Do you feel like you've, you've finally discovered your true self now? Can you stop? Can you just relax for the rest of your life now? You see, why does it feel so empty even though we've gotten all the things that we want? It's because we were not designed this way. God designed us so that we would pursue him in our lives. He designed us so that we would never be happy without him. You know, we can have temporary things to make us happy, right? But a lot of them just eventually go away. And you see, the Christian life, this journey that we're on, it is, it is a journey to some of the most inexpressible, incomprehensible joy that we can ever imagine. But it's not a journey that is without distractions and 
with ourselves, unfortunately, because we always get in the way of this journey. And you see, if we lived in a Jesus vacuum, it would be easy to follow Jesus and make him our priority, but we don't live in a Jesus vacuum. We live in a broken world with broken bodies and broken things, and so that makes it a lot harder. And you know, on this journey, we are presented with whether or not we can never know our true selves. Do you know your true self? Don't you hear people say that all the time? Who are you? You know, and a lot of times people are right there to help us. And they say things like, um, well, you know, if, if um, you're not married, maybe you should just get married and that would make everything better. We know that's not true. <laughs> Makes it fun. But. Or, or if you don't have kids, I mean, you're approaching 40, so maybe, maybe you should start thinking about children. Or if you're single and 40, you know, you could always adopt. Or um, you're a stay-at-home mom. That is so fantastic. So where do you volunteer and what committees do you serve on? And do you make your own baby food and sew dresses like Lori Ingalls Wilder? <laughs> you know, you are so successful. And it is so great to see women in our world who are successful. And, um, and you are such a leader for us. And we're just so happy for you. And, and so how do you balance that with your family? Are, are you really giving enough time to your family? You see, the world is like, no matter what we give to the world, no matter how we give ourselves, no matter what we do, it's never enough for the world. You know, do you, do you feel like everybody else is trying to tell you who you are or who you should be? You know, we hear these things and we're always left wondering, like, what is the most important thing? Is it success? Is it relationships? Is it my family? And it seems that we ask these questions our whole lives and we never really know an answer. I heard someone on a podcast this week who had followed Jesus his whole life, he, but he had experienced suffering and brokenness, and now he's turned away from God, and he's just like, why am I here? It can be frustrating when we don't know who we are, when we're pursuing this happiness and this journey and this goal, when we, when we get to things that we think we've been waiting for, but then we still feel a little bit empty, and you know what? These are not new problems. These problems have been around for over 2,000 years. You see, they had the same issues years and years ago. People struggled with their identities and with their priorities. Remember the story that Jesus told of the prodigal son? That prodigal son left his family in search of wealth and a good time. His priority was wealth. Or remember when Jesus told the rich young ruler just the opposite. Your priority should be to sell everything you have or you'll never understand the kingdom of God. But then Jesus' own disciples, the ones that he chose, argued over who was going to sit next to Jesus. They were arguing over who was most popular or who was the smartest. And we're still doing the same things. Because you see the desire to be known or the desire to be someone, um, that's nothing new. And so in this week's lesson, we are going to learn the next step in our discipleship journey with Peter. You see, we have learned that, we have learned so far that Jesus is worthy of following. That in your journey along the way, you can find his majesty everywhere. And if you want to follow him, you have to get out of the boat. And today, that next step, I'm going to give it to you. 
Are your pins ready? It's just one word. It's three letters. You have to die. So encouraging. That's all I have for you today. You're like, but Jesus, I mean, really, you want us to die? Okay, so it's not in the physical sense, but it is in the self sense. Um, You know, I really want to follow Jesus, but all of these pretty things keep distracting me along the way. And so I say to myself sometimes, self, I wish you were dead because you're really making this complicated. It's in that sense of self that Jesus is telling us we have to die. And we say, you know, I wish I could really just stop saying these dumb things because they keep distracting me and getting me in trouble. And you know who else says dumb things? Peter. And, and Peter, they're not, they're not so much dumb things as they are really passionate things that are really poorly timed. And you know, sweet, sweet little Peter, that's just all I want to call him because he makes us feel so normal. And I am so thankful for him because it's not that he's, he's saying dumb things. He looks at his disciples and he sees, I mean, his, his friends, basically. He's the leader of the disciples. And so he looks at them and he, he's just communicating to Jesus what they're all thinking or what all of us would be thinking if we were there too. And so I want to jump into the passage. We're going to turn to Matthew 16 and I'm going to read... Um, this story to you. So when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. I bet that was right about the time Peter said to himself, Self, I wish you were dead. (laughs) That was embarrassing. You know, Peter identified Jesus as God, and Jesus affirms him, and he says nice things about him, and he encourages him. And so Jesus goes on and to tell the disciples and Peter what's next. And he says he's going to be murdered at the hand of his enemies. And then he starts talking about this strange thing about a resurrection. And that was pretty confusing. Because one thing that Peter knew and that Peter was not going to get wrong was that defeat could not be the clear path to Christ's victory. And so he was stunned when he heard this. You know, how could death lead the way to victory for the 
for the Christ, for God. That, that couldn't be the path to God receiving glory. Christ had to be victorious. And so what Peter did was what any good leader of a group would do. He looked at his group, he saw what they were thinking, and he took Jesus aside because he respected Jesus, and he corrected him. You see, this didn't make sense to Peter. Death and defeat means victory. And Jesus told Peter that his correction was as bad as Satan himself. That at that moment, Peter was like Jesus' greatest enemy. Can you imagine? What would you do? If you thought you were fighting for someone they loved and they turned and called you Satan and not in a sarcastic tone. Peter was not setting his mind on the things of God, but on the things of man, on the things of himself. You see, he had this idea of who he thought Jesus needed to be and what Jesus needed to do. And these were Peter's ideas. But then he had projected himself onto God. And we do the same things, don't we? We we expect God to give us something or bless us or love us or correct us or discipline us in a way that we think he ought to. But when we project our ideas and our feelings onto Jesus, then we're really just looking to another version of ourselves. You see, if Jesus says that if we want to come after him, we have to take up our cross and we have to follow him. We have to take up our cross and we have to die. And you see, when Jesus started talking about crosses to the disciples, um, this was not like our crosses. To the disciples, all they knew of crosses was that this was the Roman way to kill the worst of the worst criminals. And so the disciples were like, we're not criminals. We don't belong on a cross. What is he talking about? You see, this, this wasn't like the delicate and beautiful gold necklaces we wear around our necks. This isn't like the ornate cross that I have in my family room hanging amidst my family pictures. This was a gr- grotesque and agony-filled death. Me? A cross? You want me to, to die on a, on a cross? Like, Jesus, that does not seem like a gateway to victory. Are, are you sure? And so he tells them how. And let's keep reading. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Forfeits his soul, Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? He's saying, deny yourself. Take up your cross and die. Die to self-glory. Die for the desire for worldly respect. Die for the desire for earthly wealth. Die to the desire for man's approval. And, and that's, just, that's just the beginning. Die to safe, comfortable, predictable, easy, and cheap. 
He's saying dead to self. Dead to self. And not just dead to self, but alive in Christ. And that sounds a little bit better, right? That's, that's a little happier. I wish that every time I was willing to die to myself, it was just an automatic alive in Christ. But it's not. There are actually steps and actions we have to take. And so we're going to talk about two of those today. What does this look like for us? And there are two ways. It's to set new priorities and to find new identities. We're going to set new priorities and find new identities. So we'll start first with set new priorities. I want to flip over to another gospel, to Luke chapter 9. Um, verse 57, this is another time when Jesus is calling his followers and they don't quite understand. So I want, to, I want you to see how this goes. And think about what you might say to Jesus in this situation. We'll look at chapter 9, verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. So he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying to them? And what are they saying back? He says, follow me. And they say, okay, but first. Okay, okay, I will, but first. What's their priority? It's whatever's first. And in this case, it's not Jesus. You see, family and customs are first. Home and possessions are first. These, but these are not bad things right? These are, these are good things that God has given us. And so why is Jesus's response so blunt? Why is his response so harsh? Jesus, you, you gave us these things. Why, why don't you want us to, to take care of them? And he says, friend, there, the son of man has no place to lay his head. You know what that means? That means, Amy, your suitcase stays home. That, that cute buffalo check china pattern you just bought, it doesn't come either. And you leave your dog along with it. I don't want your stuff. Because where Jesus goes, he doesn't have a place to lay his head. And so he says, can you trust me with your family? Can you trust me with your career? Last week you heard Sissy tell you about how she walked away from a very successful career because Jesus called her. I can't imagine walking away from such security and not taking all the things of this world with you. But that is what he's asking us to do. He says, can you walk away from all you've known? You see, it's the same reason that Jesus called Peter Satan If anything but Jesus is first, then these feelings are not appropriate for his kingdom. And Peter cared about victory. Peter did not want to experience suffering, but 
But suffering was the only path to Christ's redemption of sinners and to ushering in God's kingdom. And so Jesus' response is very blunt. He does not mince words. And so we must not either. So what are some things that you treasure? What are some things that you hold on to? Can you trust him with everything? You see, that's something I thought that I was pretty good at. Um, In my mind, I had surrendered my well-being and my future to him. I remember praying the prayer, do with me what you will, and two months later, I ended up in seminary. (laughs) And don't get me wrong, like, I have taken that back, I have taken that prayer back many times. I have taken myself back over and over and over, but um, in my mind, I was ready to do what he asked, asked, or asks. And last month, he asked me to go to DR Congo with our women this summer. And that means that since my husband travels, I would have to find um, someone to take care of Kate. That means I would have to kennel my dog and probably raise funds and, um, and pray a lot and have lots of meetings and do lots of writing and get my immunization shots and they hurt really bad and um, give up two weeks of my summer. But you know what? I was ready. Whatever your will, Lord, I am here to follow you. And so in a meeting last week, I sat with Jody and Catherine Holloway from Alarm, and we talked about the trip. And um, Catherine reminded me that we needed to start praying about the spiritual warfare that would come. And um, because when you're committing to do work for God, Satan will do whatever he can to stop you. And so, yeah, I know all about spiritual warfare. It is in the Bible. It is, it is scriptural. It is real. And, and I'm ready. And um, I was ready to set my mind on God's work and not of the things of this world. And so I heard that loud and clear. I was ready to pray um, this, this warfare stuff I am on. I am ready to proclaim Jesus and worship him and start fighting for his kingdom. And out of nowhere, I thought of my daughter. That cute thing. When she went to her Valentine's dance with her dad. And you see, when we suffer in spiritual warfare, our families are not exempt. Satan attacks where you can least handle it. It's like he knows what you have a white knuckle grip on. And you see, I've, I've been to Africa many times. I've been on mission trips before. But I haven't been since she's been born. And this year I thought, it's time. She's old enough. This will be fine. I'll go. Um, you see, I expected the spiritual warfare. I expected that probably Joel and I would have some big fights. I expected that a pipe might burst in my house like the day before we're supposed to leave. I know Satan has tricks and he will try to get you. Um, but I never considered that my Kate might be right in the middle of where Satan is aiming. That somehow she might suffer because of the choice I was making to follow Christ. And y'all, I broke down. 
I couldn't take it. It hit me out of nowhere. And Jody and Catherine watched me as tears poured down my face. I was making noise in Jody's office. I realized that there's a chance that my sweet girl might have to endure suffering of some kind. And it took everything I had not to look at them and say, I changed my mind. Forget that I said anything. Because that was exactly what I wanted to say. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just move out of here and I'm going to go protect my child. But Jesus. You see, um, there's a question I always ask Kate. And I say, who loves you more than mommy and daddy? And she says, Jesus. And I am so thankful for a church like this who is teaching my daughter about God's unconditional love because she knows it. And she knows that no matter how much I love her, he loves her so much more. But last Thursday, I forgot that. That all this time that, that my husband and I have not been the ones keeping her alive, <laughs> that he has, not Joel, but Jesus, and that he loves her and it, he is good and he is worthy to be followed and that his majesty is found everywhere along the way and if I want to follow him, I have to get out of the boat and once I get out of the boat, I have to deny myself. I had put my daughter as my priority over Jesus and Jesus is saying, Amy, keep your mind on the things of me and my kingdom. And again, family and relationships and friends, these are all good things. These are incredible things. These are miracles from God. They are good gifts that he has given us. But when we put a gift in front of the giver, it is one thing and one thing only. It's an idol. And in that moment, I, I didn't want to to hand her over to Jesus. Kate was being my idol. I had put my gift in front of the giver. Have you ever been given good gifts? I'm sure you have. You're all sitting at tables with amazing women. I see the gifts right in front of me. But are you holding on tightly to any of those gifts? You see, if we say that we believe in Jesus, but um, we aren't ready to serve him, then we don't understand Jesus. We don't understand who he is or what he did or what he said. And so we must change our priorities. We must make Jesus first dead to self. Say it with me, dead to self. dead to self, alive in Christ. Nothing else matters. I am so excited to tell you that barring second Jesus' coming, I'm going to Congo this summer. <laughs> and I'm going to fight for women who don't have the same rights and privileges that we have. You know, they know suffering in ways that we can't comprehend and Jesus said, go, so I'll go. And now, if you know what's good for you, you will pray for the protection of that little girl <laughs> and our team. 
Because when you go do Christ's works, Satan's not a fan. This is why Jesus calls Peter Satan. You are in my way of glory. And so we have to change our priorities. Secondly, we must have a new identity. You see, having a new identity is less about bending your will toward Jesus and more about totally changing the shape of your heart. It's not just surrendering your will. It's totally changing the shape of your heart and your identity. If we look back at Matthew 16, verse 25, it says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And life here does not mean um, the physical life, like your physical being. It means basically your inner self. The Greek word here is suke, which is where we get our word psychology. So that means the inner self, our, our, our souls, basically. And he is saying that if we lose it, that we can have a whole new identity. The way to, to truly live or to truly find ourselves is to remember that we are children. We are daughters of God. That, that when Jesus died on the cross, he adopted us as his daughters. And we are given every right that Jesus has under God. We are daughters of God. And that is our identity. And so... People tell us how to find our true selves, right? In the East, they say, you have to lose all of your individuality, basically. You just have to become one with everything else, and that is the way to find your true self and true humility. And in the West, we laugh at that because we say the way to find your true self is to be unique and to make goals and dreams and your bucket list and accomplish all of those things. And when you have done that, then you will know your true self. But that is not what Jesus says. You see, the problem with our version here in the West is it's very contradictory. How many of you have had the same goals and dreams for the last 20 years? Or the last 10 years? Or even since yesterday? You see, that's not really our true selves because those goals and those dreams and that list, they change all of the time. And you know what? A lot of times, our deepest desires even conflict with one another. And so what's the answer? When Jesus is saying, you can't truly find yourself by trying to find yourself. It's not going to work. Even if you have the whole world, the whole world will never be enough. Look at the people who seem to have everything they've ever wanted. Look at Hollywood. They have beauty and talent and wealth but we know they're not the happiest. Or CEOs and political leaders. They have power and fame and success. But when I see them, it just looks like they're frowning all the time. You know, why is it that the brightest smiles I have ever seen in my entire life come from orphans living in Ye, South Sudan, and they have nothing even the clothes on their back they share with other kids. They know an identity in Christ. You see, if we build ourselves and on desi our desires on things that can pass away, you can bet that the happiness will pass away right along with it. And so he is asking us to give away ourselves. He is asking us to die to ourselves and be alive in him. He's asking us to take the, de the deed of our hearts, the ownership of our hearts, and to sign it with his name. 
You see, if I had a house with a, a deed on it and, and I was going to rent it out to someone, before I rented it out, I would probably um, do lots of background checks and credit checks and I would go to their previous um, rental people and I would ask them, you know, what, what's the history of them? And if, if they had gotten evicted from the last five places they lived and never um, paid rent, then I'm probably not going to rent them my house. That would be a very unwise investment. It is the same with our hearts. And Jesus is asking us to sign the deed of our hearts over to him. You see, why would I sign the deed of my heart to a child who is probably going to fail me and probably leave me? Or sign it over to my husband or my parents because they're going to fail me. They have. They will again. Jesus is asking us to sign the deed to our hearts over to Jesus. Not our stuff. Not sign it over to our career or success, but Jesus. One of my favorite quotes from Brennan Manning emphasizes this. And he said, define yourself as one radically beloved by God. Define yourself as one radically beloved by God because every other identity is an illusion. It's all going to pass away. Dead to self, alive in Christ, nothing else matters. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And when we fail him, he forgives us. And he loves us unconditionally. And he forgives us over and over without fail. You see, we were built to know him. And when our identities are built in who Jesus is, it's a self, it's an identity that we cannot lose. It's a self that won't conflict with itself. Because Jesus is true to his word. And Jesus does not fail. Followers of Jesus are dead to self, alive to Christ, because nothing else matters. When Jesus called Peter and the disciples to follow him, he wasn't calling them to a a boring, mundane life of self-sacrifice. It was an invitation to a journey beyond imagination, a journey unlike any other. The ways of the world... (laughs) You know, it's lined with false promises and enticing status, but it leads to horror and destruction beyond our imagination. And so Jesus is calling us to deny ourselves and be satisfied with his overflowing joy. And now don't misunderstand. Jesus loves us, and he delights in our joy. And visiting Cape Town would make me very happy And Jesus delights in the pleasure. He delights when we take pleasure in his creation. But if there is a point where Cape Town moves in front of Jesus, you can bet that it will be time to remove Cape Town from my list. I will follow Jesus wherever he goes. I hope he goes to Cape Town. (laughs) But I will follow him wherever he goes. Dead to self. Alive in Christ. Let's say it again, dead to self, alive in Christ, nothing else matters. And let me just tell you as we close that you have not even imagined, 
You cannot comprehend what he has for your life. Because when we find ourselves, our true selves in him, he will never stop. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for never leaving us or forsaking us. You are a good father. And now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all we could ever hope or imagine according to your great power, to you be the glory forever and ever. Amen.